Uh, it's kind of a strange view from up here. I think I rather prefer it from down there, but it's okay. Uh, last week when Chris called me, this was like Thursday after the meeting. You guys had a meeting on Wednesday, and I was working, so I wasn't here. My phone rang, and it's Chris, and we talked for a little while. Well, first we got cut off about five times, and uh, I thought, well, maybe I lucked out. My phone's not working, and Chris won't ask me to do anything. Well, then we finally made, got through to each other, and we talked for a little bit, and he said, hey, I need somebody to preach on Sunday the 27th. I looked at my calendar. I thought, well... I don't even have anything on my calendar. I can't even really say I have anything going on, so I suppose I can do that. Uh, And I got home, and I told Liz, hey, Chris called me, and he wanted to know if I would preach on the 27th. And she's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I meant to tell you, last night at the meeting, he said he was going to call some people. And I'm like, well, that would have been great to know. I definitely would have cut off the connection a couple more times. (laughs) So, no, it's it's okay. I... uh, I had a really, really good time studying for today. Um, Tim's service last Sunday is really uh, kind of the inspiration for what I'm going to talk about today a little bit. Uh, but I loved Tim's message. I thought it was, it was so fitting and so worthwhile to be here. Uh, it was a little out of the ordinary, but he talked a lot about worship and what worship is um, and why it's so important uh, for us to worship and how we worship. Um, So for today, I'm going to pull my text out of Hebrews 12 for the most part. Uh, You guys can follow along. We're going to start at verse 18 through the end of the chapter in Hebrews 12 uh, and talk a little bit, um, thinking about how worship has changed. Um, Originally, as I I started studying for this, I thought I would start with um, just the idea of having an awe and a reverence for God as we worship, and how we do that, and what that looks like. But as I studied through this, I was so struck by the difference from the beginning of Hebrew, uh, these couple verses, from the beginning of these verses, and the attitude that was there, versus later on in the chapter, that I kind of changed routes a little bit, and I decided to talk about something a little differently. Um, But Tim mentioned last Sunday, he said, God desires and really demands our worship. In one form or another, uh, we are going to worship God, uh, and we, under, we, we know that. So um, for today, what I kind of ended up with as a, as a bit of a title for today was the difference between the two mountains. Uh, and we'll see, I'll, I'm going to read through here, and we'll see the two mountains that are discussed here. But starting in verse 18... You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Kind of like me. I'm I'm kind of feeling that same thing. So I'm with Moses right now. But he goes on and he says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So the first couple of verses there, uh, from 18 to about 22, it was so fascinating to me to read this, because in the youth group and junior youth group, we had just done a fairly lengthy study about the crossing of the Red Sea and the miracle of the Red Sea. And we see in these couple of verses, directly following that, what was happening and what the Israelites were doing. And so as we talk about this a little bit, I think it's so easy, oftentimes I read this and I think about how Moses felt and what he was thinking and how he was feeling. But I kind of want us to feel more as an Israelite because we're not all Moses, right? There's one Moses, but there were thousands of Israelites. So I think we can relate to and see ourselves a little bit better in the Israelite circumstances Uh, And if we go back to Exodus, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read a little bit from Exodus as well. If you go back to Exodus 19, uh, God was talking to Moses and he said, come to Mount Sinai. When you bring the Israelites out of Egypt, come to Mount Sinai. And Sinai uh, comes from a Hebrew word, Sina, which loosely translates to a thorn bush. Uh, And it was the same mountain that Moses had met God in the burning bush. So Moses was familiar with this mountain. The Israelites were not really familiar with it, but they went there and they camped in the wilderness, finally getting to the base of Mount Sinai. And there they stayed there and God spoke to Moses. And I'm going to read from Exodus 19, uh, starting at verse 10 a little bit. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Uh, I'm going to skip forward a little bit to verse... Nope, the next verse is the one I need. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows... Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. And only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. To me, this was such a a vivid picture of what it looked like before Christ died on the cross for us. God is the same then as He was today. But when we look at this mountain and we look at the Israelites and we think about how they felt, I had, to, I had to picture our church sitting up here on top of this hill in Charm and our church coming together and God telling Marcus and Chris that, hey, you guys can come up to church in three days and I'm going to meet you there. And everybody else needs to stay down in Charm. You guys can sit in the Kime Lumber parking lot and watch what's going on. But nobody else is to come up here or... 
you're going to die. You will either be stoned or you're going to be shot with an arrow. And this morning as I drove across there, I'm thinking, man, that would be just, that's just crazy to me. That there was no way for most people, other than Moses and eventually Aaron, to go up onto that mountain. They could not even touch the mountain that God was coming down to. And it says they were terrified. They were trembling with fear. Uh, and they were to be put to death if they came to the mountain. So that mountain to me, Mount Sinai, in this, in this couple of verses, really represents the law. And God, God did give Moses the Ten Commandments here, but the, there was no, there's no grace, there's no mercy, there's no forgiveness at this mountain yet. And that's why there was such a fear when God came down. Um, I'm going to move forward the next chapter in Exodus there, in Exodus 20, when God did come down, starting in verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. So they understood, the Israelites understood that they could not even speak to God and hear the law or they were going to die. They begged Moses, we don't want to go talk to him right now. You go talk to him and tell us what's happening. Because if we go tell him, if we go talk to God, if we see him right now, we will die. And that was the, that was the Israelite group that had just come through the Red Sea that was saying this. So... Going back to Hebrews 12, <clears throat> the next couple verses starting at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. And Zion is an interesting, interesting term, I suppose, for lack of a better word. But Zion is not a, a literal place. In the Old Testament, Zion, Zion was considered Jerusalem. And David had put the temple of God in Jerusalem, and that was Zion. However, I think what he's talking about here, Zion can be translated several different ways. It can mean, it can mean a hill in the city of David, which was the temple. Um, it can mean the city of Jerusalem. Or, and this is, this is what I believe he's trying to tell us here, is it can mean the dwelling place of God. And for us today, we can come to Mount Zion, the dwelling place of God, rather than coming to Mount Sinai, where there is death and thunder and lightning and destruction. And if you even were to listen and get close to God on Mount Sinai, you would die. But instead, we can come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, to God's dwelling place and the heavenly Jerusalem with thousands and thousands of angels in a joyful assembly. And we can worship God there. So what changed? What made that possible? Because we know God doesn't change. 
God's laws stayed the same. His commandments are the same today as they were thousands of years ago when Moses first got them. So what made that possible? What changed for us today that we can joyfully enter the dwelling place of God where Moses himself said, I am shaking with fear and trembling, and yet that's not the same for us today. Mark 15, 38 says that the curtain was torn in two, and people could now approach God through Christ. When Christ died on the cross, and that curtain, that veil was torn, there was now a way, there was grace, there was a mediator, there was now forgiveness where we can approach and come to the throne through that rather than through trembling and fear because we know none of us is going to hold God's law. We're not going to follow perfectly everything that He has set before us. So when, when living underneath the law, that's the attitude that you're going to have. But when coming through grace and forgiveness, we can enter Mount Zion and God's dwelling place with joyfulness. Uh, as they sang that last song, um, Living Hope, there were a couple of lines in there that, that really, really stood out to me uh, in the first couple verses there. And it said, in, in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night, and then through the darkness... Your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. What an experience. There was nothing like that when the Israelites went to Mount Sinai. There was no loving kindness. There was only law. There was only trembling and fear. And now we have loving kindness that tears through the very shadows of your soul and allows you to come to Christ, to come to God. To come to the God that created us, and not only did He create you, but He purchased you back to Him and sent Christ to die on the cross for that. Which to me, once I started thinking about that some more in in getting ready for today, that that was another thing that's just so mind-blowing, that it's like, if I go and build something, if I create anything in this world, say my house, right? If I would have gone and I would have spent months and I would have built my house, which I didn't, I paid somebody to build it, but if I would have, if I would have created my house and built it from this ground up, put everything together, cut down the trees, did all of it, and I created it, would I want to go buy that house for the price of a new one? No. I created it. I don't need to buy it. And yet God gave himself to buy his creation back. So there's no fear and trembling. Such a, such a wonderful picture of his love for us. The end of the chapter verse 28 and 29. Well, actually, I'm going to go back to 27. He says, 
the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. As we look around the world today, we see a lot of shaking, of fear, of trembling because of the unknown. And God has already told us there's nothing you're going to do about that. This earth and the heavens are going to be shaken. I'm going to shake them to the point where anything that cannot be shaken is all that will remain. If it can be shaken, it is going to be destroyed. God has already told us that. Moving on to verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As a fireman, I get to see fire as it consumes and burns. And there's been several small instances where I've seen fire and I've seen it consuming. And it almost makes you panic because you're in a situation where everything around you is being consumed. Everything around you is being burnt to nothing. And yet here you are in that spot. And I think, I think the Israelites would have been overjoyed had they not needed to be in that fear and trembling of seeing a consuming fire of seeing a God that is going to shake everything and instead see where we are today, where we have such a great salvation through Christ that has made it possible for us again to approach to God. Jamie, if you would put that quote up. I found this, this quote from Alistair Begg, uh, and I thought it was, it, was, it was so fitting towards what, we, what I've talked about today and while I was studying. But it says, only when we are captured by an overwhelming sense of awe and reverence in the presence of God will we begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. So, throughout the studying for this week, and the next several weeks, again, this, this kind of came out of, of Tim's service last, last week where he talked a lot about worship. Um, but recognizing that we can worship in this way because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Is, has become really, really clear to me throughout all of this. So, um, when we stand, we'll have a, a closing prayer, and you guys will be dismissed. God, thank you that we can come together.